Attention architects and creative minds, get ready to supercharge your brand with Build Your Brand, the podcast that's unlocking the secrets of branding success for creatives. Hey there, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my friend, architect marketing expert, Jeff Eccles at Build Your Brand Podcast, where he explores the captivating stories of the world's top brands and transforms their lessons into powerful moves for small firm architects and creatives like you. In season one, Jeff shares the thrilling tale of Southwest Airlines, where he dissects their journey to the summit and distills it into strategies tailor-made for you. It's important to keep in mind that companies like Southwest compete in the real world, just like you, and face real-world challenges, just like you. You might be surprised at how similar those challenges are to the struggles that you grapple with on a day-to-day basis. Don't miss out on your blueprint for success. Subscribe, tune in, and let's build your brand together. You may have noticed that the very best brands in the world are also known for having somewhat unique corporate cultures. That's often the glue that holds everything together when they encounter those rough spots. We don't do it because it inconveniences the passengers to whom we are primarily dedicated, the short haul uh, frequent flyer. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Your Brand today. Remember, no matter the size, the journey's the same. Your brand's journey to the top starts here. Entree Architect community, welcome to the backstage area of Context and Clarity. Every Thursday afternoon on Context and Clarity Live, Catherine McPhail and I and our live audiences that are joining us from all across the internet, we get to talk to a special guest to search for clarity around the things that matter most to you, the architect, no matter what your context is. You may be the employee of a firm that's dreaming of doing your own thing. Or you may have had your own firm for a year or 10 years or 20 years, and you're starting to rethink or reimagine what that firm could or maybe even should be. Every week, we cover topics that fall under the broad umbrella of the business of architecture. And they're all the need-to-know topics for the success of entrepreneur architects just like you. If we've never met before, my name is Jeff Eccles, and what you're about to listen to is the audio recording of a conversation that my co-host Catherine McPhail and I had to break down this week's Context and Clarity live conversation. So thanks for joining us as we share our biggest takeaways and look for ways to apply what we heard in the Context and Clarity live conversation to our own businesses. In this episode, we talked with Antoinette Bunkley. Antoinette is a senior associate and project manager at CoArchitects in California. She's also a nationally recognized expert in training for justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion initiatives. And she's a speaker for the upcoming Entree Architect Community Annual Meeting. One thing that you'll learn in this conversation is that Antoinette is a recognized leader in justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion initiatives at CoArchitects which is a firm of about 160 people. But she's really well-versed at finding ways to take action all the way down to the individual level. Not all subject matter experts easily translate their expertise from a larger firm into applications for small firms. 
Co-architects culture is all about taking action and making change. So maybe listening to this conversation will inspire you to make change and give you some ideas about how to take action. Catherine McPhail joined me once again for both the conversation with Antoinette Bunkley and backstage afterward. Catherine is my co-host, and she's an architect and podcaster in Fairhaven, Massachusetts. In addition to Context and Clarity, Catherine hosts Talking Home Renovations with the House Maven, and she's the CEO of Demios Architects. As always, I'm looking forward to talking about our takeaways from the conversation, so let's go backstage and listen in as Catherine and I talk about our conversation with Antoinette Bunkley, Senior Associate and Justice, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion Leader at CoArchitects. One thing I said at the very beginning of the conversation was that Antoinette and Mark R. LePage had a conversation about a year ago on the uh, Entree Architect podcast. And in preparation for our conversation, I listened to that conversation a couple of times. And it struck me that there are an awful lot of firms, which is a good thing, there are an awful lot of firms that are focusing more on equity and diversity um, in their firms, you know, making statements and so on and so forth. But I have not run across all that many, maybe none, that are as invested in actually executing on their justice, equity, diversity, inclusion initiatives, not only in the firm, not only in-house, but also in the community, um, uh, in their work, you know, specifically the work that they're doing as architects or engineers, and then with their clients. So um, that, that to me is, is hopeful, definitely impressive, uh, but what a, what a fantastic example of a firm that's that's taking action and is, as as um, Antoinette says making change. The thing I liked about our conversation yesterday was that she had some suggestion as to what we could do because I think a lot of us would like to do something we don't really know what we can do so we kind of put it on the back burner and we're going to do it someday. But I'm pretty excited about what they do, which is they go to schools and talk to the kids, she said around fourth grade or so, to expose them to architecture. I think it's important to start in the community. And in that in regard, it can be within the schools itself, especially with minority, if you want to make a change with black and minority students, you have to start early. And being able to go out into your community and identify with a, a school that may have a high population, to expose them to architecture. Um, because most Black and minority architects, like myself, were first generation. And, you know, I wasn't exposed to it until I was in high school. And now we're starting much earlier. And so I think if you're like one person, just reach out to the community, go to a school and see how you can get involved. And by that, maybe you go and you speak on what you, a day in a life in an architect. And that's all you have to do. Doesn't take much time to do that. And it, it just starts there. I was just talking to the painters who are working on my house. Why I mentioned this, I don't know, but I was discussing that idea with uh, painters. And they thought it was a great idea and that 
people don't know that things exist like opera unless they're exposed to opera or architecture or whatever. So I'm going to try to see if I can go do that over here in the city I live near. I thought she was very good at it. So this is this is a problem we see a lot, right? Is hey, I'm in this I'm in this firm. And in, in the case of co architects, there are 155 or 160 people. So not not a small firm, right? And so many people um, that have have great initiatives, have great success, uh, you know, from from that particular perspective, you know, a larger firm perspective, have trouble breaking what they're doing down to something actionable for an individual or for a smaller firm. And Antoinette is exactly the opposite of that. Um, you know, I was really impressed by the way that, and, and as it turns out, they view it this way at Co as well. But, but what's one small thing that I can do, which obviously leads back to what you just said, is you know, going to a school is one thing that you can do. Um, so that really impressed me. Is there's obviously a a, a spectrum of initiatives that they're they're taking at, at co-architects and some are very large scholarship programs and you know some some very big things and um, some pretty big trainings but also small in terms of things that an individual can do places that an individual can plug in things that an individual can do in their community so that was another I, I don't know takeaway or or thing that that I noticed as as she was telling the story of of what they're doing it's like you know this is not someone that that hasn't figured out at the big level that then can't you know can't apply it to something that I personally and the fact that they have these funded task forces is pretty impressive that that I I noticed you were asking uh, a lot or you were asking does this make business sense like, well how can you make a case for doing this in a business so I don't know if she actually answered that or not but she did say that they do fund this task force and they have co-leaders for each of the bits in case one can't make it though one of the leaders can't make it to whatever event they need to do so it kind of answers a couple of the um, objections a couple people might have for having that at their own business or too busy or whatever. And she didn't say it yesterday, but on, on Mark's uh, podcast, she was talking about how they did in-house education about holidays that are important to certain people in the community. And I love that aspect of it. I was, I was pressing a little bit on the business case and I know, so part of what we were, what we needed to do yesterday was, have this conversation, but also not give away too much because as we're recording this in just a few days, Antoinette Bunkley is going to be one of the speakers at the Entree Architect Community Annual Meeting. So she's going to be at the conference talking about the business case for doing the right thing. So we're we're sort of doing a little dance about giving a little bit of a preview with not giving away too much. But when one example that she gave, which is definitely a... a uh, uh, a business case was their investment in the HBCUs, the historically black uh, colleges and universities. They've invested in a couple in visiting, participating at a couple of the HBCUs, and one of the things, one of the returns, I guess, that has come from that is that now they have an employee from one of those. And I think, you know, in this day and age where 
a lot, if not everybody, talks about, hey, I need to find an employee or at least I need to find help. Um, investing in that way and then it returning as someone that is, the, you know, a candidate that is aligned with you already because um, of of their background, of their experience, of the way that you have helped them and, and their familiarity with you. I think that's huge. Um, you know, so I, I, I know we're going to hear more about it at um, in Austin next week as she speaks at the conference. But I, I think that's a fantastic example of what's what's returning back to co-architects for the investment that they're making outside of the walls of the firm. It kind of ties into what we were talking about at Clubhouse in the morning about what is the business argument for doing the right thing. And so we were all talking about how our goal is to have people know us, like us, and trust us. And so when you're doing the what you might consider to be the right thing, it it's part of your brand maybe, or it, I mean, first of all, I think if you're a certain type of person, you want to do the right thing. So it would be a natural impulse to try to fix the world and change the world in some way that I think most architects have. We want to make it a better place. And so there were some examples of Chris was saying that his boss hadn't treated their clients very well, was always shifting blame and all this other stuff. And it came back to bite him where this big client went back to Chris rather than the boss now. And so now Chris has these big jobs that are coming his way because of the way that his boss acted with these people. So, I mean, of course, there's, I think there are a ton of reasons to do the right thing in business. And there's actually, what reason would there be not to do, I guess, to make more, more money? Yeah, maybe. I mean, what? so w one of the things that I tried to do yesterday, and, and this is, this is part of the dance that you're in as someone that's trying to interview a guest. I wanted to go in a certain direction with the conversation and Antoinette wasn't going there, uh, which is perfectly fine, right? But one of the things that I really wanted to push on was comments and this attitude that you get a lot where some, someone will say some variation of architects should stay in their lane. And an example that comes to my mind is there's an article that was posted in the Entree Architect Community Facebook group about um, increasing enrollments in architecture schools, which is great. Maybe, I don't know. I don't, you know, I, I'm a, I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know if that's good, bad, or indifferent. You know, I sort of think it's indifferent personally, but, um, but in the comments section, there were people that started talking about um, the fact that they hoped that topics like social justice would stop being, quote unquote, pushed on students. And, you know, the things that I would call sort of do the right thing topics, there were people that were saying architects shouldn't be spending their time learning about that or, or working on that or thinking about or doing on that architects and architecture students. And I know this is a different context than that's academia versus working in the firm. But what they were saying is these students should learn essentially about building science and architecture, what, you know, whatever architecture is. And I, I, I really wanted to go down that path 
and have that conversation because I vehemently disagree with that attitude. Um, now, Antoinette wasn't going there with that. And that is one of the things that I appreciate about her. She is, she's very practical about this. She's very straightforward about it, you know, and, and very upfront about it. She's not combative about any of these topics at all, which I think is why um, she just really didn't didn't go down that path. The, the, the way, you know, honestly, I wanted to be a little bit combative about it. Um, you and I can be combative about it because neither one of us are the oppressed group. This is absolutely true. That is that is an excellent point. We can we can go toe to toe with someone that probably looks or a group of people or whatever that probably looks an awful lot like us and um, has an experience an awful lot like ours and, you know, all of those things. And um, I, I think that's an excellent point too. You know, that's, that's something that we've, we've touched on this week as we've had several days of talking about equity, diversity, inclusion, and, and justice is that it really doesn't matter you know, if we if we get to the the cliches and the sayings and the the stereotypes and things like that, it doesn't matter what we think about those or how that makes us feel about those. If there's some somebody that is somehow offended by or made to feel less than by or um, is negative negatively impacted by the saying, right? That's that's been a part of of the language that I learned uh, growing up. What's mat What matters is how they're impacted by it, and I think that's that's a really important point. And I think we gloss over that a lot of times. It's you know we're in our bubble, but we need to have an understanding and develop an empathy for the way other people are impacted by all of these. An example of that that has been the last couple of years has been a, a topic for debate is master bedroom, master suite designation. And so there are definitely people who say, oh, that's just it's it's just a name. It's just like a master plan or it's like you can't get a master's degree now or what? So who cares? Who cares? The fact that people there are people who feel uncomfortable with a master bedroom, master suite um phrasing. Okay, so we'll stop using it. It really makes no difference to me if I call it a primary bedroom or what I call it, bedroom number one, bedroom suite. You know, just because I'm comfortable using master bedroom and everybody knows what that means, that that's, but somebody feels uncomfortable, that's enough of a reason for me to change myself. But there are a lot of people who argue about that. That is a great example because it does come up and, and it is part of base has been part of our lexicon but but then you know the example that i've i've been using all week is i was in class one day and i've, I've been trying to think critically and, and be more conscious about these types of things and i started to say something you know use use some sort of cliche that is used all the time and i don't remember what it was now off the top of my head but as it was coming out of my mouth my brain was saying hey there's probably some dark history to that saying. And I I had to stop and say, hey, you know what? I apologize. I need to find a different way to say that. And I, I rephrased it. And I don't I don't know to actually to this day, I don't remember what the phrase was, but I didn't go and look up look that up. I probably should have, um, to see what the history was. 
But if there had been someone in the room that that made uncomfortable, that me saying that made uncomfortable, that's the point, right? To, to, and, you know, exactly like you're saying, if you were someone that, uh, if you're a black person in the United States who is made uncomfortable by us talking about a master bedroom, master, you know, what the, the term master, I mean, it's, I don't think it takes a lot for us to figure out where that came from in the, you know, in the United States. So I'm hundred percent with you. Why do we need to use that? It doesn't matter to me, right? What, whatever, you know, whatever your perspective is, this isn't hurting me or changing it to something else. Isn't hurting me in any way. It's not inconveniencing me in any conceivable way. If you're using a CAD or BIM program, it's just typing. And you have to type, you have to type in master bedroom. It doesn't come up, at least my pro, program doesn't come up. So I don't know. It's, um, it but some people who argue, well, that's a different origin of that. Master has more to do with this Latin root and whatever. It doesn't matter what the actual truth is or what, if they're right. The fact is that that phrase is troublesome to uh, some people. So let's just not use it. I don't know. It seems simple to me. Going back to what you were saying about the social justice and the schools and how that's not appropriate. It's, I mean, I guess people are probably reacting in a political way. Like that's just determining someone's politics or something, right? However, if you take out the content of, if you take out the content, then what you have left is this idea that you have to uh, get into the politics of a community a lot of times as an architect to understand what is happening, what are the different forces and how can we convince the community that this thing that we're doing is for the good of the community and will benefit them as well. So at, at the very least, we are trying to improve the community, a lot of us who are working on these projects, and we need to know how to talk to people who might not feel the same way, um, how to negotiate things, how to stand up for what you think is the right thing to do. So that skill is really important. I guess if you want to take away the content. I mean, I think I would hope everybody could agree on things like human rights and, you know, I guess we don't all agree on what I would consider human rights. Homelessness might be another thing. People don't like to talk about homelessness, but that is something that we can address as architects. So to me, it makes total sense to talk about homelessness. And of course, that ties into other things like social services and other things that would be necessary to help people who don't have homes because they're not just not having homes, you know? So anyway, I, I think that's that's too bad. For architects only to know about building science I think that's cutting off a huge part of how we contribute to society. Well, first of all, you know, and this this is likely to alienate or or offend anybody that holds that attitude. And frankly, I'm okay with it. But I I think the argument is disingenuous because I don't know about anybody else's architecture school, but when I was in architecture school, every studio project, every design project that you worked on or that we worked on, one of the first considerations was the context of the project. And like you said, the the community, the lot, the whatever, whatever the context of it is. And to say that we should just focus on, quote unquote, the architecture, or we should just focus on the building science or the constructability or whatever, those things are, are important, certainly. 
but as you were learning to become an architect, you learned that it's not just about the framing or the foundation or even even the the aesthetic of the design. Right? You learned about serving the client. You learned about the, uh, the, the you know, you started with the program. You learned about the context both for your client within within the use and to the broader community. And to say that we shouldn't pay attention to or shouldn't react to or, you know, however you want to look at it, the things that are going on around, whether it's homelessness or George Floyd or Kanye West or the Los Angeles uh, City Council, any of those things is to essentially ignore the context of what's going on around you. And so so that that's why I think that the argument from from the very moment it's presented, I think is completely disingenuous. Uh, I think it is a political argument, which is unfortunate because I think that's a great problem that we have in our society where we are right now in 2022 is we've got a whole lot of disingenuous arguments going on. And it's not always one-sided. That's the way I'll say that. If we're not, you know, if we're not talking with students about social justice, about homelessness, whatever, you know, whatever uh, facet of that that we're looking at in a particular project or, or, or something, then we're also not preparing those students and this is this is akin to what you were saying we're not preparing those students for the real world we're not preparing those students to work on real projects and we're also doing in my opinion doing a disservice to the profession because if the profession is not reacting to the communities that we serve the clients that we serve the world that we're supposedly making into a better place then then we're sinking the profession. If you want to create change, it's something that every firm should be doing. It doesn't have to be on the scale that Co is doing it at. Um, I, I believe we're on a much larger scale because the, the interest in, in, in the change. But it's something that every firm should at least take one initiative and help to go about creating change. And it can only be within the A&E community, especially if you're a small firm, because you're up against challenges being a small firm, right? So that's so much different than the much larger firm that has over you know 3,000 employees, and then that becomes more corporate. Um, I've sat on a couple of panels that talked, when you talked about doing JEDI, where we had a small, co-medium, and large firm and we talked about the differences between the each size firm and the challenges that each firm face. And then we turned around and we had the same conversation a year later, right? And it was, how was it progressing? Was it still alive? And for the most part in each firm, it was still alive. There were some wins, there were some losses, but it still happening. And I think, again, that's something every firm, not just an architecture firm, but any firm who wants to create change within the community or within the country should do. 
obviously I said it earlier, I, I vehemently disagree with the assertion, with the attitude, with all of it. But I, I think it's one of the fundamental problems, this attitude, if it, if it becomes pervasive in the profession, I think it becomes one of the fundamental problems that is literally destroying the profession. Because if we, if we say that we want architects to be relevant, then relevance is about right now. It's not about Palladio. It's not about hand drawing, hand drafting, about the craft, about any of those. Those things are also important. But relevance is about our impact on people right now, human beings right now. And if you want to pull that out, then we're going to struggle. One of the central things we do, I think, is think about how public buildings affect, uh, have a social impact. I mean, you think about Boston City Hall, plaza and that was nobody likes that it comes up a lot and it is a cold windy place so this is to me that's an example of a public space that people the people who are using these outdoor spaces are really trying to make work and architects could have a bigger impact on these spaces everything that we create like my my thesis was a supermarket and i wanted to help the homeless people who in los angeles used to uh clean people's windshields at the intersections. So part of my outdoor space was a dog tie up, but then it also had a place for homeless people to store their materials for their window washing business, which is of course fictional, right? But they could have, if they had spaces like that, that would be helping them. So that's like thinking about like, what's the reality here of this and how can we make their lives easier or people's lives easier or better or more able to get together and have like a farmer's market Whatever it is, we, that's what, I mean, maybe I hate to say this, but I feel like that's what makes us different than the builders when they're just designing something. Because they might only be thinking of the building and how much it's going to cost to build the building, but aren't taking the bigger picture, which is, I think, what we're good at. And that bigger picture, when you go way out, that does include I think that's a good point. I mean, it's, again, I, I can't speak to the architectural education at many other schools. I mean, I, I have two degrees from one school, and so that's my experience. As you were describing that, I was thinking about some of my projects when I was in school a long time ago. I don't know that we ever used the term social justice. I, I can't remember. So I don't know if that's a recently, relatively recently coined term or not, but, but what you're describing are the things that we thought about. Right. What if if it is a public project, you know, what is the impact? What how does this treat the pedestrian, the user, the passerby, the the, the resident, all of those things? We th those today, I think, are certainly some of the things that we maybe less charged uh, versions of, of what we call social justice. But I think we've always looked at it that way. And I think we have to continue to, to learn um, and, and to focus on those things and to you know, bring it back to Antoinette Bunkley. I think that probably what she would say, I don't want to put words in her mouth, but I think probably what she would do is, is start looking at the smallest things. You know, what's, how does this impact one other person? You know, and whether it's in academia or or you know, in, in the professional office. I, I said this earlier this week, I said it yesterday as well. Context and clarity is not a justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion show. Um, 
there are lots of those out there that are fantastic that you should listen to and support. But having said that, we can never have too many of these conversations. Um, they're important conversations. Uh, they're important topics and good topics. Um, and I'm, I'm glad that we had the opportunity to talk with Antoinette yesterday because I, I think in a way she has a little bit of a unique unique approach to this, not only being incredibly well-versed and experienced in implementing these types of initiatives, but also, as you know, we've, we've kind of said a few times here, bringing it down to the, uh, to sort of the, the atomic level, the, the atomic habits level, you know, what's one small thing that I can do to move, move this forward. And so I really appreciated that. Uh, it, again, you know, it, it makes it, easier for somebody that looks like me um, and has the experience that I have and, you know, the advantages that I have and all of those things, it makes it easier for me to comprehend and think about how I can actually take action, which is something that, that that's one of the big messages here. She talks about change. I've got to take action in order to, uh, in order to cause change. Yeah. She did say that her goal was to change one person's life. If she can change one person's life by her actions, then they're worth doing. And that's very true. And yeah, I just think it's good to remember that we as architects have a place in the community where we might have more of a platform than other people. And we can we can potentially do things to help change our our town. For example, if we only want to start with our town rather than the whole world, there must be things within our town that we could work on that we would be welcome to work on. That's an important point. It really is. All right. Well, now you know what we thought and what we're going to do with what we learned. But what did you think? What did we miss? I really hope that there was some big takeaway from either the Context and Clarity Live conversation or our breakdown here that will help you with your business. DM me on Instagram or Twitter and let me know what your takeaways are. You can find me on all the socials at at Jeff underscore Eccles. That's at J-E-F-F underscore E-C-H-O-L-S. So send me a message and let me know what your takeaway was. And if you want more conversations like this, subscribe to the Context and Clarity podcast where you're listening right now and leave us an honest review and a rating. Those things really do help us to get the message out and help more architects just like you. Oh, and also, now you can follow us on Instagram, as well as get a heads up on everything that's coming up. There, we're at context underscore clarity. In our next episode, Catherine and I will host Context and Clarity Live again with a new special guest and a new theme for the week. And we'll come right back here, backstage again, to break it all down for you again. There's always something new to look forward to. And if you love content like this, check out Gable Media. It's a multimedia network for people like you that care about the built environment. And it's the home of Context and Clarity. With Gable's growing family of podcasts and video channels, I know that you're going to find something there that interests you. You can learn more at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. And finally, if the topic of today's episode is of particular interest to you and you'd like to dig deeper into it, then join me over 
in the Entree Architect Community Facebook group. That's where every weekday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern, I host Context and Clarity Conversations. And we take these topics, topics like this, and we dig deeper. We have a conversation in real time to try to find more clarity around the things that matter most to you. So thanks for listening. I hope our time together has inspired you to think about your community, your practice, and how you can support those around you. Catherine and I will be back for our next episode. And in the meantime, I hope you'll join me and the Entree Architect community on Facebook today at 4 p.m. Eastern so that we can help each other find more clarity around the topics that matter most, no matter what your context may be. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it guys. Oh my One that God. came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.